All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, and this week we have a very special guest, brand new to the pod. Boo, 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 boo. It is Andre Carlisle of Black and Red United and also co-host of Diaspora United, a very, very good podcast. So before we even get started, Andre, tell the people a little bit about yourself and what you do, and then we'll jump into these games. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Um, Really fun. Really excited to get the uh, get the invite um, about me and what I do. I'm just soccer obsessed, and I watch a lot of soccer. <laughs> and I try to talk and write uh, a lot about soccer. So then, very good. Yeah, no, I part of the reason I thought you'd be great to be on is because I thought who is someone who watches all of the games, and your name definitely was one of the first ones that came up because I know that you watch. <laughs> All of the games. Okay, so we're just going to talk through NWSL games uh, this week because there's not a lot else to talk about. And in fact, we have one fewer game this week than we usually do. We only had four NWSL games this weekend. Louisville and Kansas City were on their first buy. So a little bit of a light weekend, maybe giving us a bit of a break before all insanity sort of breaks loose uh, when the Olympics start. But we're just going to kind of take this chronologically as we do. So we're going to start with... North Carolina hosting Houston on Saturday. And that was actually a game that Houston won. It was Houston's first win against North Carolina in North Carolina. Houston wins this two to one on goals from Shea Groom and Gabby Seiler. North Carolina did get one back from Kristen Hamilton. I thought this was a hell of a win for the Houston Dash, um, especially just because they came in with a very particular game plan that is an away strategy that we actually see a lot sometimes in the end of USL where they wanted to play that low block, stay organized, and take their chances. Um, Andre, I'll just take it over to you. What did you see from this one? What did you think of Houston's performance in this one? So as the spirit guy, um, I'm going to be – I'm a little disappointed because the spirit to win over North Carolina that looked very impressive – looked a little less impressive because <laughs> of what Houston did. And so I was a little bit like, oh, man, why did that happen? Uh, but I was happy for Houston. I was kind of surprised as well. Um, I thought that the goals were, were really good, especially Gabby Seiler's goal. I was so happy for her uh, scoring that goal. And just the way, <laughs> the way they scored it, that, that almost like parting of the seas kind of free kick situation, uh, I thought that was really, really awesome. Uh, and, and the way you have to do it, like you said, when you park the – when you kind of like set a low block – you're really looking to kind of either hit on the counter or you're looking to score with uh, dead ball situations. And um, they did a pretty good job. I mean, North Carolina had 12 shots, but only three were on target. So I'd say job done and surprisingly so. Yeah, I mean, I think North Carolina maybe has some reasonable gripes about they had two goals get called offside. Those were quite close. But I agree that it seemed like, especially in the second half, that the longer things went, without North Carolina being able to pull ahead seemed like they got a little bit frustrated. And then when Houston did score off of that very nice set piece, North Carolina didn't really mentally have a way to come back from that, which is actually not something that we're used to seeing with this team. We're used to them being very mentally strong. I said this last week, you know, North Carolina gets a lot of shine for their mentality and their formation and all that sort of stuff. But when you're missing a lot of players, it's harder to kind of hold that together. Yeah. I think we should talk about this set piece though, because that was very cool. And I think that this becomes a larger conversation because we'll be talking about a set piece in the game that you were at, because there was one, a very nice one there as well. Um, The NWSL is a league where people score on set pieces less than you might think. I don't have the stat in front of me, but just based on my experience, I think they score in set pieces at a lower average than a lot of other men's leagues. And sometimes it feels like maybe there, some of that is a staffing issue. You know, teams don't have a person who is dedicated to set pieces. Some of it is just focus on other things. But what Houston did with that set piece was so nice. And it did, it came with a little bit of this strategy, right? Where they had like this counter wall set up in front of Gabby Seiler. And- it totally messed with North Carolina's wall, which if you look at that slowly, like North Carolina's wall kind of flinches a little bit. They get out of the way of the ball. Um, And then Gabby Seiler hits just a a heck of a strike. 
and that ended up being the game winner. Um, thoughts on that, Andre? Because I know that you you watch a lot of men's soccer in addition to women's soccer. And do you feel like set pieces are opportunities in the NWSL that could be taken a little bit more seriously? You know, that's a difficult one because I think the other thing is the level, the standard of goalkeeping is very good um, in the NWSL. And I think that has something to do with it too. Now, we don't usually see too many um, players, you know, like hitting the target on on a routine basis. But it's very difficult, I think, to score on the score on goalkeepers from those type of situations. And I, but I do also think that that means that we've kind of seen this. You mentioned men's soccer, like with Lionel Messi. The reason he started scoring a lot of free kicks is because Barcelona started screening a lot of his, so goalkeepers couldn't see it. And it seems like Houston did something very similar, um, just to interfere with the wall, get the ball a path uh, through the wall. And so I think there are some things and it would be nice to see some more things because you can be a little bit more creative than just relying on a player to get it up over the wall and back down on, on target. So I would like to see a little bit more of that, but I kind of think it's, it's probably a mix of, of that not being something that's prioritized. And then of course, just the goalkeeping, because it's, it's really hard to hit something on target. And I think, you know, the last match, the, the saves that just can continue to come from Casey Murphy they were just not going to let Ashley Sanchez score. Um, it, it was because uh, she almost scored a free from a free kick as well in that match. And Murphy was able to, to dive and get it off the bar. And so like, it's just, it's rough. And so you do have to kind of like add another element of moving the wall, wall around, moving players around, trying to disrupt some sort of um, blockade that the defense is trying to put up. Yeah, no, I agree with that for sure. And I also think that, you do see that, right? Where you see sometimes even teams get a little bit in their own way. They try to do too much. North Carolina is sometimes, uh, they are, they are uh, a team that can do a little bit too much as they try to pull off their free kicks. Um, next question. So you were talking about that, that win that Washington got against North Carolina last week. And that was a very nice win for them. A different kind of win than the, win that Houston got Houston got a very, again, a way strat, counter-attacking, staying defensively organized. They really relied on Katie Naughton a lot. It was about as much trying to disrupt what North Carolina was doing as it was playing their own game. For Washington, it was more like, we're going to play the way we want to play, and North Carolina didn't really have an answer for it. I think North Carolina knows that this is going to be a rough period for them. But from what you saw last week and what you saw this week, are there things to be learned from this particular period for North Carolina, or is this more like we just got to sort of grit our teeth, get through it. And then when everyone comes back, we'll be ready to go again. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's seeming like it's the last one. Yeah, it does. Doesn't <laughs> um, that's, it? Yeah. that's what it's seeming like. It's a little interesting. I didn't, I wouldn't necessarily have expected that right from the get go, but uh, it seems like that's what's happening though. You brought up a really good point because I don't know how offsides those goals were. Yeah. you know, the, the disallowed goals. And so that is something that, you know, if I'm in house and if I'm trying to avoid that second mindset of, we just got to ride this out until, you know, Mewis and Dabinia and Lynn Williams come back, then maybe you, you know, try to inject some confidence in the team and say, you know what, the referees got us. It's an unfortunate thing, but we can play our game. Um, and I think it's a good distinction between the Washington game and the Houston game, because Washington's approach was very different. Um, there's still a whole lot that Washington could take from that match because they played their game, whereas Houston just kind of withstood North Carolina's game um, and, and ended up hitting them on a counter and getting some help from the referee. So I do hope that even though they're the evil empire and everybody <laughs> knows this, um, I do hope that they find a way to kind of like overcome some of these issues that they've had without needing to just say, you know what, it's, this is going to be bumpy. This is going to be turbulent. We need the other players back because I don't know if that should be the case, and I hope it's not. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I think that's a good point because the thought that I had watching this game was it was a lot of things at once. One being that I think it's fair to watch this and say, well, North Carolina might actually be better. This North Carolina team might be, quote, unquote, better than this Houston team. But – this North Carolina team also wasn't able to operate against the way this Houston team had been coached specifically to this particular talent group. And so I thought to myself, well, 
they were winning a lot of games when they had Lynn Williams and they had Dabinia and they had um, Abby Ursag. And now they're struggling. I'm going to throw this out here and you answer this however you would like. Is, are we a little bit, do we act like North Carolina is deeper than they actually are? Is that possible? Just because their starting 11 is so good? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, we probably do a little bit, although I'll say <laughs> when you have players that are as influential as Lynn Williams, Dabinia, and Sam Mewis, it just in the out, it turns out outfield players, and of course you have uh, Abby Ersek too, will be gone. I I think that's a lot. Yeah. I think that's a lot. You know, I, I don't know. Like a, a lot of other teams are kind of missing missing some talent. You know, the spirit, as mentioned, are missing. You know, Kelly O'Hara and, and Emily Sonnet, but it's they're also missing. You know, um, other players from like Sweden, Julie Radar and Sayori Takarada, who's with Japan. Right. But you don't really see that. Um, because it's not really like the spine of the team. I mm-hmm. think you'd see a different, say, if, if you kind of try and do a one-for-one one difference, say maybe Andy Sullivan is in Tokyo, right. you might see very different performances. So I'm willing to cut North Carolina a little bit of slack because those players are very important, and you can miss maybe one or two, but all of them is kind of brutal. That's a really good point, actually, that it's not only that they're missing a lot of players, but it's like they're missing the wrong ones. They, they're missing the players that they actually... <laughs> yeah need that they're missing like all of their MVPs. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, one final kind of word about Houston, kind of the flip side, which is that they struggled to kind of get going and, and their results have been sort of, you know, top topsy turvy a little bit. They had that really rough result against Chicago last week, but we thought maybe that they would struggle more during this Olympic period because they are missing a lot of people. They're missing Nichelle Prince and Rachel Daly and Christy Mewis and Sophie Schmidt and Jane Campbell and Alicia Chapman, just a lot of people, but kudos to James Clarkson. Cause it seems like the team understands what they're missing. And particularly again, second game on the road in a week, they adjusted for that. I don't know. I thought this Houston performance was sick. I was into this. I was like, they are sticking together. They are working for each other. They are not the better team, but they are going to win this game. And I thought as that game sort of played out, I was very impressed that they were able to see this one out. I think. Um, Yeah. Thoughts on thoughts on Houston. Yeah. Got to give them a lot of credit. I actually thought, you know, you mentioned both, both teams are missing a bunch of players. I really expected Houston to be the team to really struggle. Like yeah. uh, they, they weren't, they didn't look all, all that cohesive before. <laughs> and so I was thinking, Ooh, yeah, this is right. really kind of a bad time to lose all these important players who were just kind of starting to get on the same page a bit again. So I was kind of a little bit more doom and gloom in terms of what was going to happen with them. I think getting Jasmine Spencer was like a big, big, big trade for them. Yeah. I think that was so important to get her and and get her starting um, in the lineup, get her in and kind of ingrained into what they what they want to do, how they play. She's been so important, I think, especially carrying the ball, which is you know really difficult to do in this league. <laughs> really, really difficult to carry the ball forward, especially from midfield places, uh, and and then make attacking moves. So like, I think it's been really important, and I've been been impressed. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like I'm going to have to probably we rewatch a few of their games and figure out exactly like what's going on and why they couldn't do this earlier in the season. (laughs) I think that's probably my main question, but, um, I've been super surprised and, and excited to kind of watch them and figure out what they're, um, kind of see what they're doing. And that's why I think Jasmine Spencer has been so important because she kind of does something that's a little bit different from what they usually have. And, it's been really important for them. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised Houston has me surprised right now. Yeah, I agree. I think, and I said this last week, I think Spencer is also playing herself into a position where she should get a serious look, even when people come back, I think. Yeah. Um, Great. So that was North Carolina versus Houston. Good win for Houston, North Carolina, just going to have to get through this time. Um, So this takes us to Sunday's game. We had three games on Sunday. Um, and this actually works out again quite well because you were at a game that I did not see in its entirety and I was at a game that you did not see. So it, it all kind of works out. Um, so this next game we're going to talk about is the first one of the Saturday slate, which was Washington hosting Gotham at Sagra field. 
Um, before mentioning this game, we should give the update, right? That uh, there was official word from Gotham FC this week that general manager, Elise LeHue had been let go. Um, we don't have really any update to give to that at this moment, other than just what everyone has seen. Meg Linehan at the athletic did report that this was due to a violation of the anti-discrimination, not discrimination, the anti-harassment policy in place in the league. And that's about all we know. We know from LaHue's lawyer that she denies whatever allegations were said against her. We know that the team had a pretty kind of odd timeline of letting the team know what was going on and letting the public know what was going on. Just a, it's kind of a mess. And in a situation like this one, I think you can understand why it's hard sometimes to get the news out because you do have issues of privacy and legality and all of that sort of stuff. But it's also just pretty clear that Gotham is not particularly interested in people finding out what happens. So uh, we'll see if that develops in the future. But for now, that's about all we got. However, Gotham did show up in D.C. and they got the win. They defeated the Spirit 3-2. to two. This one was a banger in many different ways. Um, so the way this one broke down where there were goals from Trinity Rodman, Mahomi Kawasumi, McCall Zerboni, Ashley Sanchez, and then finally Midge Purse. Uh, this one began with some chaos. Andre, why don't you tell me <laughs> about what you saw that eventually led to Gotham not getting a penalty, but also Sam Staub being ejected from the match in like the sixth minute. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, This was such a strange, strange situation. It was just, it was just weird. I I don't want to, I, it's so difficult at week to week to not talk exclude like too too much about refereeing. Right. But it's really hard to avoid it in this match because it was such a weird moment. Well, well, I'll start off with what the spirit did to kind of, they kind of created the moment. So, you know, rookie right back, um, who who Richie Burke said isn't really doesn't believe that right back's gonna be her actual position, but filling in there, it's a rookie, Anna Helferty, who is playing at right back, and she had a really good game against North Carolina, really, really good game, and uh, asked him, you know, um, before this match, you know, do you think she's going to get another start? And he was like, yeah, which was good. You know, he, he's like, I got, I got to reward that kind of performance, and, you know, I am absolutely understand that and agree with him. What ended up happening, though, is that she ended up getting targeted and kind of bracketed on the on the side when she was trying to dribble the ball forward, and I think she kind of lost it a second and then um, kind of repositioned her body and got it back, but then just needed, like she was surrounded by like three Gotham players and needed to just get it back. And so she ended up booting the ball with way too much spin at a weird height that kind of like bounced right in front of Sam Staub, like right at the top of her bo- of the box. And I thought Staub was just going to boot it into the air rather than try to control it, particularly on that turf. And instead she tried to control it Midge Purse and Ify uh, on Amanu were coming right down, and that was just a worst case scenario. Now that this is where like the the errors from the spirit created the situation, sure. right? The ref takes over from this part <laughs> from this part <laughs> because you know as, as she's being pressed, you see uh, kind of Midge get on the ball, but Paige Nelson was also there and kind of in position to either try to block, attempt to block, or do something to kind of get in the way. So when you kind of look at the, the, the sequence overall, and you try to determine, because clearly there, there was something, there was a foul, right? There was something that happened there, and the referee had to make a decision. And the decision ended up being a free kick from just outside the box with a red card for Sam Staub. If you watch that again, you can see that probably should have been a penalty, probably a yellow card for Sam Staub and continue playing right after the penalty. Right. But that's not what happened. It got, it was a mess. I'll, t- I'll be, I'll be honest. Like the, the, the quote unquote press box at Segra is basically a gravel pit, like to the left side of the, of the, of that goal that mm-hmm. we're, um, Gotham were attacking. And we could see it was actually the best angle to watch all of that unfold because everybody was upset. <laughs> Gotham players were upset because they thought they should have had a penalty. Uh, Spirit players were upset because at first the referee pulls out the red card for Paige Nelson, who 
didn't make any contact at all uh, on Mitch Purse. And then, so they're trying to figure out what's going on. The AR, I have no idea what he was. And then you get a situation where <laughs> the referee's just kind of trying to figure out how do I make like the right decision now? Like, yeah. how do I calm everybody down and move on with the game? And eventually it gets figured out. I think Gotham players have to kind of tell her, no, actually not Paige Nielsen. It's actually Sam Staub who needs to go. Because Paige actually was not going to leave the pitch. <laughs> That's the other thing. Yeah. She just got in the wall like I'm, I'm supposed to be here. And, um, and yeah, so it was just quite a mess uh, to start the match. Right. And disappointing because this would have been a great match 11 on, on 11. As it was, it was good 11 v 10. Right. Clearly ends up being, ends up being a good game. Yeah. I, I was, I did get to see this moment on the stream when I was waiting for, for the other game to begin. And um, right. It just seems like the exact wrong decisions were made in a way where it should have been a penalty, but it shouldn't have been a red card. And so it, it was just like things kind of compounding within one another. And so Gotham did not get a penalty opportunity, which they quite frankly deserved. And cause with the new, with the new penalty rules, if you initiate as if a defender initiates contact at the top outside of the box, but that contact carries into the box, that's a penalty. It doesn't matter that it was initiated on the outside yeah. of the box. Um, yeah. So just kind of rough, but right. Washington, doesn't give up they are not quitters this team and so you got trinity rodman putting the team ahead and I, i'm just gonna leave this to you just kind of explain because this one was very i again i didn't see a ton of it but i know what happens when you have a player get sent off is that you have one team that has more space that they have to fill and you have the other team that's trying to get into those spaces so i'm not shocked that this ended up end to end but talk a little bit first about washington's performance and how they were able to, for a lot of this game, really stay in it. Yeah, that to me is really like the story outside. Now, obviously, the refereeing decision will become probably the big story of the match. But for me, like from a spirit perspective, the story of the match was really Washington's response. Because every single time you see a team go down, well, I won't say every single time, that's probably too definitive. <laughs> Most of the time, 95% of the time. Sure. <laughs> um when you see a player get taken off, then, you know, usually a, a, an attacker is sacrificed for a midfielder or another a center back or another defender or something like that. That didn't happen. Richie Berg didn't make a sub at all. In fact, he just kind of bumped a couple players down. So um, Tori Huster wasn't in, in the 18 um, because she took a shot from uh, Andy Sullivan in the, in the last match. It was a, it was a really good strike that was heading for goal that she kind of, he took in the ribs. And so that was unfortunate. For Sullivan her. hit the ball too hard. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but that meant that the spirit had on Trinity Rodman actually was interesting. And he chose to drop Tara McKeown kind of back into midfield, which is something we hadn't seen from her. And again, she's a rookie. Um, and he dropped Andy Sullivan back into central defense. So Washington was essentially playing like a four, three, two kind of formation and it was working and it was interesting to watch it work well too. Like they were dangerous and they didn't just pack it in and say, okay, we're just going to defend. I think that would have been really harsh to do for what, you know, 83 minutes plus. That would have been really, really harsh, you know, to do for, for the team. But you just kind of let them play. And I was, like, really impressed to have that kind of trust in the players to let them go out there and try to win the match. And they almost did it. Almost got – if they didn't almost win, they almost got a result. Yeah. And, you know – Kind of got caught a little bit, you know, 15 minutes before with, with Midge and, and Ify linking up again. Those two love to terrorize the spirit, so I'm not surprised. Hmm. But um, but I, I, it's still an impressive performance for me from the spirit. Yeah, I agree. Um, it does seem like, and I talked to Jason Anderson about this. I've talked to other people about this, just that what Washington is bringing to the, to the table mentally this year feels like something that is very foundationally strong and they have had things go wrong this is not the first time they've had a red card in a match you know they they had Correct. that 
home game that was actually away. They've had some adversity, as a lot of teams have actually. It's been kind of a wacky end of USL season so far. But which, by the way, that that home game thing is funny because Houston is is like the I think the game the game notes for every Houston match is that they've never lost at home, and it's like well, well, except the one time, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, technically, <laughs> yeah, that's so funny, right? They lost away in Houston. Um, but yeah, so what they're bringing to the table mentally, and that does come from players. Like it's, it's this really nice mix and listeners of this podcast, they've heard me say this a million times, but it's this mix of, you have that very steady leadership of Tori Huster and Andy Sullivan, and honestly, Aubrey Bledsoe as well, combined with sort of this youthful spirit of Trinity Rodman and Ashley Sanchez and these young guns who are really willing to just kind of put it all out there and really just play as hard as they possibly can for 90 minutes. And that has been, it is too bad. I think for, for Washington that they didn't get a result out of this. Cause it seemed like the effort deserved it. Now let's talk about Gotham. Gotham is I've, I've called them a work in progress, right? But they've shown this year that they can do exactly this. And in fact, they did it to North Carolina in the challenge cup, probably most famously, which is, get them on the right day. They are not a team you want to get into a shootout with. And it seems like, like you said, person on Imanu in particular, we're just firing on all cylinders today. Um, what was your take on that Gotham front line of purse on Imanu and Kawasumi? Oh, I thought it was, it was not one that I expected, but it was so good. I, did, I it was, it was really, really effective and they made it, they made it really difficult for the spirit in wide areas um, because it's really difficult to track their runners and then know who's going to break free. And they have a really good way that they combine and are able to kind of like play the ball around in a little triangle. And then suddenly they slip it through the defense and everybody's on their heels turning and running. And that's how they end up scoring, you know, midgets up scoring the winner. But yeah, they were really, really good and really, really difficult for the spirit to handle. Um, I do think that Sullivan and Nilsson, did a good job, but I also think that like Aubrey Bledsoe stopped a number of shots. <laughs> so they scored three goals and it could have been more uh, if Aubrey Bledsoe wasn't in the kind of form that she was. So like they were really difficult. And one thing I didn't notice, and I only noticed this because I was trying very hard to get like r- video of my, on my, like I mentioned, the press box was just to the side of the goal. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get like a one V record, like a one V one with Midge. Uh, going up against uh, McGrady or, or whoever else happened to c- um, come out over there. And I kept forgetting because <laughs> I kept being just kind of like watching in, in, in anticipation. And then they switched her over to the other side. So like mm-hmm. Midge really got to roam a lot. Sometimes yeah. she was, and, and this is the danger with her. Like she can play every spot along that front line and they let her do it. And it's really, really frustrating for a defense because she can play, she has something that, that can bother you from every single position uh, on that line. And it's not fun to play against. <laughs> it seems like she and Animania share that too. Yeah. They're both players that have played out wide and centrally um, yeah. in, in the attack. And so it helps too, because they do have Paige Monahan out with injury right now. And they're missing obviously some attacking Olympians. So that fluidity is really impressive and I honestly shout out to Naho though because she has been yeah. slotted into a position that is not her her the place <laughs> she's been playing for them and she's done great so um but, but maybe that's a good segue to maybe my final question about this game and you mentioned how you wish that this could have been an 11 v 11 do you feel like we were perhaps robbed of the midfield battle between Andy Sullivan and say McCall Zerboni or Ali Long in this one? Yeah, I, I think so. Because for like the five minutes that we saw it, it was good. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Right. Like I, I was I was quite excited to watch that for a full 90 minutes and then that and then bad things happened. Um so yeah, I do think we were. I, I think the teams I also think it was a good challenge for the spirit, or it was going to be a it ended up being a different kind of challenge, right? But it was going to be a good challenge because that turf pitch plays slow, doesn't really allow the spirit to play their normal game. They were missing Tori Houston, so they had to have Ashley Sanchez playing as like a true midfielder instead of this false nine thing that they've been doing that she's been excelling in. And it was just going to be a different type of match trying to 
you know, create chances and build through midfield where Gotham is so strong and so tough. And like, it was so intriguing. And, and I won't lie, I was a little bit concerned. I was like, oh, this is like, if you have like, you take all the elements on like, and you put them on a chart and you have to move them to like, does this benefit Gotham or does this benefit the spirit? Gotham had more things that benefited the way that they play in their style, um, which is kind of unfortunate for a home match. But um, yeah, we had it for five minutes. Okay, question. Do the Segra field games feel like home matches? So I'll... <laughs> not like, I mean, maybe the answer is yes, but not quite like Audi, right? Well, th- yeah. I mean, that, there's no comparison there. Right. I, yeah. I was just going to say, so this that, this was my first time at Segra. Okay. Um, so I was going to say I need to probably have more Segra experiences. So even though I don't want any more <laughs> experiences, <laughs> yeah, they're, st- they're, they're scheduled to go there a couple more times this season and I will be there. So um, we'll see. I mean, the fans, you can probably hear them a little bit more because they're closer. It's a smaller kind of venue. Sure. So you probably have a little bit more intimacy than, than normal, even though Audi feels not bad at that. You know, the fans are still pretty close in Audi. So yeah, it just, it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't, it's not the kind of service you would expect from like a professional team, sure. um, top flight kind of league. And particularly with the Washington spirit, I think some other teams would be fine playing on it. Like I mentioned, Gotham would be fine playing on it. Um, even though I heard that like Estelle <laughs> wasn't too happy about it either. It's so, some like, pretty turfy turf from what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not the best. So I'm hoping the 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 days of the spirit playing there are numbered sure yeah it seems to be that does seem to be a common refrain whether it's just that it's hard not the easiest to get to or it seems like it's really hard on the players <laughs> yeah. just physically to recover from that kind of stuff and the ball doesn't do what they want it to do and all that sort of thing but yeah i mean obviously that relationship with dc united is ongoing and right you would hope that maybe good stepping stone i guess to sort of getting that that by way to to Audi, but maybe they can spend a little bit more time there their next season. All right, very good. So this has been part one of the Equalizer podcast. We will be back with two more NWSL games in part two. All right, welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, I am joined by Andre Carlisle. I'm going to do the thing here that I do every week. I'm going to ask you to rate and review this podcast. Give us five stars. Give us a nice review. Say how much you enjoy the pod. It helps people find us, which is really useful, especially going into this Olympic period when hopefully we'll have a lot of eyes on women's soccer, which is very exciting. So... Let's pivot into the final two games of the weekend. This is the one that I was at. I, earlier today, Sunday afternoon, I saw Chicago defeat OL Reign 3-1 to one on two own goals, and we'll get into it, and another goal by Mallory Pio. And uh, actually, the scoring was opened in a, in a very, very nice goal by Bethany Balser. So OL Reign got one very nice goal. Chicago got a couple funny ones and a very nice one of their own. Uh, so we got to get into it. Own goal for Chicago, Chicago. So first thing I do want to say though, is that we will see actually, if this holds by the time this is released, it's possible that y'all may find that the second goal actually was scored by Chicago's Tatum Malazzo. The team believes that she got a foot on it. Looking at the Opta website, they had not yet said that it was an own goal. If it would have been, it would have been off of Alana Cook. They said it was an own goal, but they did not give it to Cook herself, which makes me think that they were not sure exactly what happened there. So it is possible that Chicago only has four own goals this season, which would tie the single season NWSL record. But it's also possible that they have five, which means that they would have a new NWSL single season record. So Andre, Magic? Question mark. I wish I knew because I would like to inject it into all of the teams that I care about. (laughs) Um, I just do not understand how this continues to happen. It was really, really funny getting into the car after, you know, we listened to the post game and everything and, you know, write some thoughts down about it and all that, you know, the, it's funny watching, you know, when you cover a match, it's not really like over at the final whistle. <laughs> you're kind of used to like, you as probably a fan, got like another like, hour to go. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're used to kind of like getting up and filtering yourself out 
and like, no, no, you're, you're going to be there when like cleanup is done. Um, but it was interesting to get into the car, pull up the scores and be like, all right, what's happening now? And seeing own goals again. I was like, again, how is this, how is this happening? What is happening? What sort of witchcraft, extraterrestrial, <laughs> cosmic, I don't even know what to say about this <laughs> because it doesn't make sense. It's unprecedented in this sport I, overall. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's been a weird year, I think is maybe just a good way to put it. Just in general, I was saying this earlier about how it feels like some teams are going through a weird amount of adversity and some teams are going through a weird amount of success. And I just think that there's whatever like, sort of bizarre COVID, post-COVID, whatever energy that's going into some of these games and we're seeing some weird stuff. However, I do want to take this kind of half by half, though, because the first half of this game was really kind of all about OL Reign, and then the second half of this game was also kind of about OL Reign, but also a little bit about Chicago. So the first half of this match, this was the first time I've gotten to see this version of OL Reign in person, and it's one of those things where it's clear that they have a ton of individual quality. That is for certain. They're stringing passes together. They are possessing, they are getting into dangerous spaces. They are doing all of those things, but there is a ruthlessness in front of goal that is lacking and they are playing. And I think this is the story. It has to be the story in all of these games that Ola rain has lost recently is they play with the highest defensive line I have ever seen in this league. It is a very, very high defensive line where not only do they have the whole team pushed up to the halfway point, which many teams do when they're in possession, that's not unusual, but they have one center back even pushed even further up. So you have maybe one center back staying home, another center back pushing forward. And then you have the outside backs also pushing forward and attack which coincides with the fact that O.L. Reign does not play when Quinn is not available. O.L. Reign has not been playing a lot of defensive midfielders. It's just an intensely attacking team. And yet, these heavy hitters are not scoring goals. Uh, Jennifer Marajan has not scored yet. Usually, Lace Omer has not scored yet. We're getting goals from people who have played in the NWSL for a while, getting goals from Bethany Balser, getting, you know, I thought Ziara King played very well. Uh, it was actually Delia Jimenez who sent the ball into Bethany Balser in the first half. Um, just talking to you in general, Andre, because I'm not sure you saw a ton of this game, but you've seen, you've seen Ola Rain play in the past. Do you think that things will click or do you think that this could just be what it is for a while? Oh, it would be so disheartening if this was what things were for it a just, while. Right. It just feels like it should even out at some point, right? Yeah. I, I And I feel like it has to. Like, that team's too talented. And I think they made the right decision. Um, however it, however weird it was with the, with the you know, uh, Ben Steady resigning hours before an away game. Right. Um, just odd. But I think getting Laura Harvey in there was really good. Um, oh, gosh. Option. That also got announced this week. I forgot. That yeah. was a piece of news. Yes. Laura Harvey you know what? I'm messing all sorts of things this week. Sorry guys. It's Sunday night. We've had a long day. Uh, Laura Harvey was announced as the person who will be taking over OL rain at the end of the Olympic break. Cause she is currently in Japan with the U S women's national team also announced uh, this week that Casey Stoney would be, is going to be, I, this was rumored, but that Casey Stoney will be the head coach of San Diego NWSL. So th- those were little pieces of news. For sure. But yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Andre. <laughs> yeah, no like, oh, right. Yes, this happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No worries. Uh, it's it, it just feels like they, they've they've got to turn that around, because like you mentioned, they're doing they're doing some things that don't make a lot of sense with their personnel. And I feel like that won't be the case. You know, once once Laura Harvey gets there and gets to, like, do her thing there, um, will that make them a playoff team? It should, I think. Um, will that make them, you know, one of the top teams in the league? Probably not. I think, like you said, they do have some concerns, you know, especially with Quinn gone and not being able to kind of like play a sort of, it almost seemed like they wanted to do some sort of, it's weird. Actually, I was just going to try and pinpoint it, but you know, with Ben Seedy's team, I couldn't even do it. I've been trying right. <laughs> every week. I was like, all right, what are they trying to do? 
But yeah, it just seems like it's got to at some point turn around for this team um, because they're much better than what they have shown. I was just kind of looking at the table here and not even looking at like points, just straight up how many goals have they scored. Only three teams are not in double figures yet in terms of goals for, and they're one of them. And the other two are Casey and Rossing Louisville. Yeah, I say Rossing. I'm sorry. Great. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. And I think it, it is interesting to look at because, I don't know, you look at their starting 11 today. They had a front three of Bethany Balser, Ziara King, and Eugenie Lesamere, which I actually like. I like that front three. I think that that is a, a more balanced front three yeah. than they've played. They've got Sofia Huerta playing the 10 for them right now. They had Marajan playing kind of like the eight. I think they had Jess Fishlock playing like another eight. <laughs> they didn't really have a six. And then they had Alana Cook filling that space between the midfield and the defense. And that space was exploited. And Chicago is not obviously not an offensive powerhouse. But what we saw was that the rain were able to do, they were able to kind of pull all this together and get their one goal in the first half. But then Chicago made one formation change. They brought Danny Colaprico in as the sole number six after playing a dual six. They were at a very defensively compact formation starting out. They bring Danny Colaprico in to be the sole number six, which allows Morgan Gatra to push a little bit further forward. And that was enough to set the rain on their heels. Essentially um, you have the first own goal, which was kind of a Schross by Mallory Pugh, very nicely done from her. Uh, it was uh, deflected by, by Celia and that goes in not a great goalkeeping moment from Sarah Buadi. You have a second goal go in about five minutes later a uh, corner kick from, from Pew again, really nice service, which like I said, they thought maybe Tatum Malazzo got a foot on it. Maybe it came off of Alana cook. Chicago is suddenly up two to one. And then the rain don't really have another gear to hit to respond. And in fact, after the match, Sam lady, their interim coach just thought mentally they didn't respond very well. It's kind of the opposite of what we saw from Washington where the rain didn't really elevate themselves after going down. It just seemed like they got kind of frustrated and weren't able to do a lot more with it. And then that final goal by Pew does feel like a long time coming. You know, she influenced the first two goals. And I think speaking to her after the match, she was really kind of relieved and felt very vindicated to finally have one that she could put her name on. Um, and, and I don't know, it, it does. It didn't feel necessarily like Chicago turned everything around and changed everything and suddenly got a lot better in the attack, but it's a little bit of an indictment of the rain that they were able so easily to shift the momentum because what we have seen from Chicago in recent weeks is that they are becoming mentally stronger. I think that was a team that struggled with the mental side of things earlier in the season and through whatever clarity they're reaching whether it be this roster or just kind of gritting things out or having enough weird bounces go your way, they're showing a little bit more mental fortitude. And they are able to come back after conceding, they did that against Houston last week. Um, so you saw, I mean, from a Washington perspective, that game, did you see in person, the game that Washington lost to Chicago or was that one, was that another Sager game? Um, let me check because I think it might have been a segregate game. That might have been that was the one segregate game that I was. Oh, actually, I knew that. Yes, it was. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. What well, What are your thoughts on the Chicago team? It's so interesting to me. They're they're always a they're a fascinating team to me because I have a difficult time. Like early in the season, we thought it really had something going going on, right? Because Mal Pugh was getting in those really dangerous pockets and really like carrying the ball forward. And you know, as I mentioned before, that that role in the NWL is like super important. And you can like break defensive if you have somebody who can just get the ball and dribble up the pitch. Um, and Mal Pugh was doing that, and then it seemed like. She's still doing it, but less effectively. Um, and I think it's because, you know, even when she was doing it, you could see that, like, they were having kind of issues trying to figure out what do we do next? 
you know, when we have this kind of talent, she gets on the ball, like, what do we do next? And how do we get the goal from that? So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I am always scared of Chicago. And I'm even more scared of them this season, because if you look at where they are on the table and you look at their goal differential, which is currently negative, you four. look at the fact that they've gotten like, yeah, negative four, which you, you look at the fact that what they've gotten nine points from their last three matches. And as you mentioned, either four or five own goals, like if they were going to be in a slump that was going to harm them, this would be the slump. But instead, this trickery is happening <laughs> and they're surviving it, not not surviving it. They're thriving through it somehow. So when these pieces get together and they start flowing, I am scared, actually. That's how I feel about Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good take on it. It definitely feels like they're becoming stronger through this process. And so I am would think that they have to be hopeful that not only can they obviously, you know, pick up points, but once they do get their Olympians back, maybe finally go into their final form, which I think is what they're very hopeful for. Yeah, yeah. Chicago got nine points in the last three games and we're briefly at the top of the table. Portland is now at the top of the table with their win tonight, but um, it just goes to show, and this is maybe the the big thing. We talked about this last week, but worth bringing up again, which is just that we're seeing teams struggle to do exactly that. Win three games in a row. We saw North Carolina do it. They shot to the top of the table. I think Portland now has, I think, seven points in their last three games. They are now at the top of the table. It's enough just to get some wins to radically alter your place in the standings, though things are still very tight. But um, it, it, it is interesting to me, and I, I actually maybe from a Washington perspective, I'll ask you this about Washington kind of going back a little bit. Do you, do you wish maybe that they, that they could string those wins together Instead of just having like this, it seemed like it, maybe what I'm saying is that it seemed like this result from Washington was kind of a rough one to drop because they had an opportunity to kind of separate themselves from the pack. And instead you have a team like Chicago <laughs> rising in the ranks, which is funny because I think when you look at, at what you would expect, even just from what, how everyone is playing, it's, we still are not seeing, I guess, that separation. So my, my main question is looking at the tightness of the table. Was there anything this weekend that you found, maybe this is an obvious answer, but you found particularly frustrating from a particular team or impressive from a particular team and kind of staying in the thick of it? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to take the Homer route and say, you know, um, frustrating, definitely frustrating from a Spears perspective. Like I mentioned, I was looking forward to this match and how they were going to respond because I do think, and, and, you know, Richie has talked about this, that getting – the way that they play, they do have to really game plan for the different types of defenses, the different types of setups they're going to get and to try to figure out how they play their game in the face of that. And it's really diff- It's a really difficult thing to do um, because their style is, it's pretty unique. Um, I think in the league, but then you have this, you know, red card situation, not going to go back into all of that, but, you know, you end up getting zero points from that match, even though I, I don't really, it's weird. I'm going to say, I don't really believe in moral victories, but I'm going to say sure. this was a moral victory <laughs> because of the way that they played and getting two goals on that Gotham defense. I think, especially the way that those goals happen. I mean, Trinity's goal goal was outrageous. Just one of those things that they've been learning to do with her is move her over to the left so that she can shoot with her dominant foot. And that was a result of that today. Like her goal was amazing. But you look at the table and they've got 15 points and they had a chance to really get themselves up there, like in the top three. And this is how tight, like this, the the tightness of this league is absurd. You know, one match, you know, you're kind of looking at, you're, you're able to maybe leapfrog and stay in like those top two, maybe three spaces or you're seventh. And that's where the spirit are hanging out in seventh which is just outside of a playoff spot, which is frustrating. I mean, obviously, there's still a long way to go. But you're right. I mean, getting wins in this league is difficult. Getting them consistently for any period of time is even more difficult. And the Spirit's next thing is like trying to put some together. And unfortunately, they haven't been able to sign on goal the way that Chicago The way Chicago has. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then, yeah, maybe on the flip side, 
the the impressive team right now is Chicago for getting those getting those results in. And I don't know what this will mean in terms of top of the table or yeah. how it even is going to shake out at the end here. But it, it just it is interesting signs to see from a number of different teams. So moving actually into a team that has one point in the last three games, the Orlando Pride, the formerly ta- le- league leading for a number of weeks, Orlando Pride. <laughs> have now one they have one point in three games they did lose to portland sunday evening two to one uh goals from sophia smith marissa everett and then uh vigiano did get one back late in this game um so let's talk about orlando a little bit there were a lot of things that they were doing quite well at the beginning of this season um it seemed like they were able to combine some very practical defensive um, improvements with some very clinical striking uh, from their attackers. That is starting to break down a little bit here. We saw they, they, you know, it's not always, it's not easy to go to Portland. It's not easy to play in Providence park, all of that sort of stuff. But we saw some similar issues from their game last week against Louisville. And this time they were not able to actually get the point. Um, the defense was a little bit overrun. The midfield was a little bit non-existent and then their attack had trouble getting service. Andre, at this point, do you believe that the Orlando pride, they are now in fifth, but they're in this tie with Houston, Gotham, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that them holding on enough in this period will allow them to be in a playoff spot come the end of the season? Or do you think that this is another one where you're just trying to stop a free fall from happening and just wait until your, your Olympians come back? Yeah. So this one definitely feels like trying to stop a free fall. And it almost seems like Sid LaRue has been tasked with doing that (laughs) almost like herself. I mean, I don't want to shortchange like any of the other players on the team, but you know, like, she's really important in this, in this phase that they're in and just the way that she's playing, even like defensively, she's like, she's covering so much ground. And it's like, I don't know how many times she can continue to do this. (laughs) And so it would behoove them to try to figure out something else to do that's going to help a little bit more because I I do think that they started out really surprising people. Right. You know, we got, they kind of have a complete change in philosophy in how they wanted to play. And it was this transition game that was very vertical, very direct, and it was working really well. And it's almost like once that has kind of been like teams are learning to kind of cope with that now, like they know what to expect. And now you're trying to build through a midfield kind of in a way that perhaps they were looking to do (laughs) earlier and it's not happening. And for a number of reasons, it's not happening, but it does seem like, these are some pretty unfortunate results. You know what? They lost to Houston 2-1, lost to North Carolina Courage 2-0. You know, they had that draw with Rossing, which took like a last, say, what was it? The second to last kick of the game with right. Sid goal. And then, you know, you, Portland 2-1, that's not terrible. Yeah. But still, that's going, that, that's a run of matches without, with only picking up like a point, And that's yeah. going to be rough. Yeah, it's a lot of loss. I mean, maybe the good news is that we knew sort of with the points that they were stacking at the beginning of the season that they could go on a run like this and still yeah. points-wise be okay. And that is true, right? They're in this four-way tie. But performance-wise, it's trending downward in a way that I'm not sure the team is equipped to fix right away. Um, one point I do want to make about Orlando is – I wonder a little bit, and this is actually, it's hard because this is a big responsibility to place on a, what's, who is this? A person who is essentially a rookie is they have this asset in Taylor Korniak, who is (laughs) the tallest person to ever play soccer. And, but she's not really much of a passer. Her, her passing percentages are not that great. And so they have her in this 10 role, this attacking midfielder role behind Sid LaRue. And that makes sense when you have Alex Morgan and you have Marta. I'm not sure it makes a ton of sense right now because 
LaRue is not, is again, really struggling to get that service. Like you said, she's having to come back. She's having to help defend. She's having to kind of make it all happen herself. Corniak is not particularly good at facilitating that with her feet. However, she, I have to think that her aerial duels are at what, like 100%. (laughs) Um, And so I wonder if there isn't a better way to, whether it is just making her this target forward you say we're shooting it at your head and you're going to knock the ball on the goal or you're looking for a more direct approach where you have someone like Ashlyn Harris send the ball in the air Taylor Korniak is going to win that header every time and then she plays Sydney LaRue on um and so even for as direct as Orlando was at the beginning of this season it feels like they're struggling to do that now And you never want to have these avenues where you're just like, we are going to make sure that this player, this player, and this player get the ball. But when you're struggling this much, I wonder if maybe they have to even focus in a little bit more. Yeah, because you're right, because LaRue's dying out there, and it's not her fault. Um, And then on Portland's end, good match by Portland. They were on the front foot. Got a lot of shots. Sophia Smith's goal was exceptional. It's just like you said, she did that same thing. She carried the ball. Uh, she made that one herself completely. She carried the ball across the field and hit a banger. Um, Unbelievable shot. Really good shot. Let's talk Sophia Smith a little bit. So she's someone that uh, when she does stuff like this, and this is not the first time she's done something like this, you think, wow, that is not only the future of the Portland Thorns, that is the future of the U.S. Women's National Team. But it's not all the time, and it's not every game. And so I wonder, from, from your perspective, when you have a young player like that, is it just a matter of shooting more and just getting into reps? Is it something that you visit with a sports psychologist? What do you think is, is a good approach for a player that it's clearly – she can make really difficult things look easy, but sometimes she's just thinking about it a little bit too much. Yeah. So, you know, we, I I was actually having this conversation with someone else about, about Sophia Smith, because it is very interesting. You know, she, she hits that banger, which is just absurd. Just, just beating Ashlyn Harris near post from outside the box is ridiculous. (laughs) Just ridiculous. The slow motion of that shot from, from the reverse angle is, is wild. And then I think it was just before halftime, maybe she has a kind of a breakaway where she gets through the back line, which was really high. And so she's one on one and she kind of scuffs the ball and it spins like yards away from the goal. And it was uh, she was kind of caught a little um, by surprise by Ashlyn Harris. But you would expect in a scenario like that without a defender behind her to really put pressure on her that she's going to find a way to put the ball in the net or just any uh, forward and NWSL is going to find a way to, to hit the target and she didn't come close really and so to me that's kind of like where she's at right now right where she'll like do the do the thing that makes you really hype and then she'll do the other thing where you're like what happened there right, yeah, right. <laughs> and and I do think that you know the fix for that she's still so young that I, I think that it just it's just going to come with experience at this level you know the the speed of it you know getting getting acclimated to it because you know even if you look at look at it she rushed the easier shot right the other shot came like it was fluid you know you could see her kind of plotting that and she was able to to hit now honestly absurd that she would plot that (laughs) that kind of shot and execute it but I do think that that's kind of what's going on right now and it is something worth watching, though, because you do have a lot of young talent in the league. And I think that a lot more young talent is going to be closer and closer to the women's, the U.S. women's national team. And not saying she could get bumped out because she's clearly going to be part of it. But there could be other forwards that they might say, you know, maybe maybe we start trying to Robin, perhaps, even though she's she's got to learn to <laughs> I mean, she I'm runs a, so much. I'm, I'm a big porque no los dos on that one, but um, uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think that it's it's one of this is one of the interesting things about being a, a striker is when you do things well, you do you get noticed, but yeah. it's really easy to get in your own head about it. And 
we have seen throughout the NWSL this season, a lot of strikers really struggle with the mental element of, of the game. And I would say we've seen teams perhaps like Orlando overachieve simply yeah. because they have a number of strikers who don't have that problem. And yeah. so they've been able to get those results because you put Alex Morgan in front of goal, you put Sydney LaRue in front of goal, and they're like, I've done this a million times on bigger stages than this. Fine. But you're seeing a lot of other players not quite clicking in that same way. So if, if Portland can get that rolling, then that will solve a lot of their problems. Because what I thought might happen in this game is that we have another one where Portland creates 70 chances and they score exactly one goal. And they could yeah. have had one more in this one. They did have a penalty saved. Rocky Rodriguez yeah. did have a penalty saved by Ashton Harris, uh, who is very good, clearly, at getting into uh, kickers' heads, which oh, yes. is very impressive. Um, but yeah, I think I've said this a million times. I think Portland is still the team to beat. I am not shocked that they ended this weekend at the top of the table. I am not shocked that they're doing okay in this Olympic period, their depth is finely tuned. We were just saying, you know, Marissa Everett, for example, is a player that does not get a lot of, you know, discussion, but she slots into that team and looks very good. And so that's exactly what Portland does so well. So at the end of this weekend, we're going to wrap this up with just a brief, bigger talk here. We've got Portland at the top of the table with 19 points. Then we have Chicago with 17 we have a six-way tie with 16 points. We have Houston, Gotham, Orlando, North Carolina. Washington is one point behind with 15 points. Louisville, who, as we mentioned, did not play this weekend, has 11. Elwell Rain has 10. And poor Kansas City is still sitting on three. Not their fault this week. They did not play. Um, out of all of this, biggest surprise just has to be Elwell Rain, right? Oh, 100%. One hundred percent. It is wild that uh, you pull up the table and you have to, your eyes have to drop to the bottom of it to find them. That just shouldn't be happening with the talent that they have. Um, and then I'm gonna kick. I'm gonna kick this to you just because it's your first time on the podcast. So we're about halfway through the season. Uh, some teams have played. A couple teams have played eleven games. Many have played ten. Couple at nine. Couple at eight. Uh, who do you think, Andre? Who's walking away with the shield? Oh God! I know. <laughs> I was unprepared for this. I know, and this was this would, honestly would have been an easier question months ago too, because oh, actually right. watching how the season's being played, I'm like, I don't know. But yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Do you have thing. someone? Do you have someone that you've seen? Maybe. They, all right, let me let me rephrase this in a way that helps. We've seen a lot of different kinds of teams this season, where we've seen choice eleven, and we've seen depth, and we've seen early season, we've seen later in the season. Which team do you think has done the best throughout all of those sorts of sections that makes you think that they're the most equipped to do well down the stretch? The team that is difficult for me to, to see, like, cause the, the way that I kind of look at it is who, who can I see bad things happening to? <laughs> right? Yeah, and enough. who's, who's like resistant to some of those things. And Gotham is really resistant to a lot of bad things happening to them. Um, so if they continue that, it's going to be difficult to get them out. Um, I don't think as, as we talked before, like, I don't think North Carolina's weather, this kind of situation um, have not having their kind of keys, key players very well, but you know, they should have everybody back, you know, for the, for the kind of the stretch run. And they're always going to be dangerous because of the way that they play. And then of course, Portland, but Portland's an interesting team because clearly they're, they're probably the best team in the league, mm -hmm. but they also struggle a little bit. They drop um, points sometimes they do. They're yeah, not immune. Yeah. They, they do some weird things. So the team that I've seen honestly be like the most consistent and they've only played, I think they've only played nine games. So they are in that like, tier where they haven't played too many mm -hmm. but it's tough playing Gotham is tough right now and I haven't really seen a team handle them yet yeah I think that's fair I think for me I would say I, this is me giving my answer before I ask you my last question which is I don't know if Gotham are like my shield winners but they might be my team I would least like to play in the playoffs yeah I think that they might yeah. be the team where you're like that's not the draw that we want to get who is that team taking Gotham out who is a team that you would not, if you were 
the the Andre FC. <laughs> Who would you not want to play in the NWSL playoffs the most? Mm-hmm. In the playoffs, the most. I mean, I'm probably going to be extremely basic and say Portland. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Honestly, I, yeah. I really think it's Portland. I was trying to make a case for maybe like North Carolina, but yeah, you know, I, I really think Portland just has a lot of different ways to beat you, um, especially when they're at full strength. And Crystal Dunn is terrifying. They're going to figure out that. That's the other thing yeah. they haven't really figured out what to do with her just yet. Right. When they do. It's going to be a problem. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think also just in particular, Portland has been very difficult to come back against. And I yeah. think that that is, I think the way that you beat Portland is you really limit their abilities in front of goal, because if you don't, you're not going to outscore them probably. All right. Very good. So thank you so much, Andre, for joining me this weekend uh, on hotel Wi-Fi. but we made it through. We did. Okay. Uh, I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy and to blue wire podcasts, our distributor. This has been this week's edition of the equalizer podcast. Join us next week when we will have Olympic games to discuss. It is finally happening. So stay tuned, everybody have a good week.